Hi, you're listening to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Ogden, Utah. My name is John Draskovic. I'm the pastor here. And what you'll hear is the message, the sermon from the week's worship before. And uh, you can always check out the full service that has the music and our prayers and liturgy on our YouTube channel. If you go to YouTube, you can just search First Presbyterian Church Ogden and you can find us there. We've got all our services recorded, including the, the most recent um, live stream of our, of our service. I hope you enjoy this podcast and you find it to be a blessing. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This week we're looking at John chapter 13 and we're really going to be focusing in on the version of the Last Supper that John tells, what makes it distinct from the Synoptic Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and what I think John is really trying to to bring out in this unique telling of the story. And of course, uh, one of the things that is totally unique to John is the foot washing. And um, so we're going to talk quite a bit about that. This this Sunday, we in worship, we had the kids help us with that and kind of act it out and, and display it. Again, it's something that's, if you're ever in the area, um, really encourage you to come. It's great to have the, the kids feel like they're a part of it and enjoy uh, and participate in the telling of that story. But uh, that's what we'll be looking at this week. And I hope that it leads you into some new places with this kind of familiar text but one that is told in a kind of a different way by by John. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. God, you know our every need before we ask. You provide for our needs and maybe some of our wants. You bless us all. Lord, make us thankful, truly thankful, and empower us to bless others from the gifts that you have given us. Let the wisdom of your word rain down on us like manna from heaven and feed us. May your word wash us clean so we may be strengthened to do what you have called us to do for the glory and honor of your name. Amen. I see the time. <laughs> just want you to know that. And so we're going to try to make good, good time through today. I, I was up here striking out, striking out, striking out. Uh, we're, in, we're in John 13 this week. And next week we'll be in John 14, and then the week after in John 15. This week is, a, is kind of a breaking point in the Gospel of John. There's the first half, which was Jesus' public ministry. And then there's the second half, which begins today. John 13, the end of 12 and the beginning of 13 is that breaking point between the first half of John and the second half. And this is kind of like John's uh, way of saying this is the, the personal ministry, the private ministry that Jesus gives. And we'll start talking about that more next week in, in chapter 14. But they often talk about it as Jesus' farewell teaching or farewell discourse. And uh, there's a couple of things that are really interesting about this break between the two halves of John. The chronology slows down dramatically here. Okay, there are 21 verses in the Gospel of John. Uh, 21 verses, 21 chapters of the gospel of John. The first 12 take roughly three years. The next seven are going to take 24 hours. So there is a ton that is packed into these next five, five chapters, which are about the discourse, the teaching that Jesus gives his disciples. And then you've got Jesus crucifixion and resurrection. Okay. So all this stuff happens in 24 hour period. Today, we're going to look at this act, 
that we've kind of played out here, the washing of the disciples' feet. This is what we do on Maundy Thursday, but we never have the time to talk about it. And gosh, we don't have the time to talk about it today either. But there's a lot of, there's actually a lot of differences between, or there's a couple of differences between how John tells the story and Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke are often talked about as the synoptic because they're kind of like roughly, um, they, they, make a, they tell a very similar story. John has a little bit different way of telling the story. The first one is that this thing, this thing that we acted out, the washing of the feet, that's only told in John's gospel. You don't find that in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And the second one has to do with the chronology of when this last supper takes place. Okay, so you've probably noticed this if you followed the Christian calendar for any period of time, but Easter falls on a different day every year. And the reason for that is because Easter is tied to Passover. And the Jewish calendar works off of the moon rather than it does off of the sun. And so Passover is a moving holiday. So it'll fall on a different day, a different time each year. Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all agree that that last supper happened on a Thursday and that Jesus was crucified on a Friday and he was resurrected on a Sunday or they found the empty tomb on a Sunday. They all agree with those things. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke say that last supper, that Thursday, was the first day of the, the festival of Passover, the festival of unleavened bread. John says that last supper, that Thursday, was actually the day before the first day of the Passover. And the Jewish world, the day starts at sunset. And it ends at sunset. In our world, it starts at midnight and ends at midnight. To be honest with you, why does anything start or end at midnight? (laughs) Got me. Um, But so that's the way it works in the Jewish world. Okay. And so uh, this 24 hour period from sunset on Thursday to sunset on Friday is one day in the Jewish world, in the Jewish mind. And John says, it's not the day of Passover that this all took place. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's a Seder meal. It's a Passover meal. In John, it's not. It's just a regular dinner. But the reason why that's important, and we'll hear about this in November when we get to that point, this means that when Jesus was crucified in John's gospel on that Friday, that was the afternoon before Passover started. That's when the Passover lamb was being slaughtered and being prepared. That's the point John's trying to make. Jesus is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. That's what John is trying to say. That's why the chronology matters. Not because you know a Thursday starts at sunset and end, right? That's not the point. That's what John's trying to tell us. John goes on to say that Jesus loved his own to the very end. And the word that he uses there, you may be familiar with this. In the, in the Greek, the word is telos. Okay, so to the very end, it, he uses the noun version of that, telos, to the end. Well, this creates kind of a bookend with that 24-hour period. Because when Jesus is on the cross, he says the same word except in the verbal form. He says, it is ended. Telos to die. It is finished. And so telos here and telos there forms this bookend about this is the big deal. This is when it's all coming down. This is when it's happening. But before we get there, we find ourselves here. 
with the foot washing. This is a completely unique, unparalleled situation in the ancient world. There is no example in any ancient literature anywhere of somebody doing this. No story recorded of the superior taking the place of the slave and voluntarily washing the feet of an inferior. And when Jesus does this, he's just turning the world upside down. He is upending all of the norms and the social hierarchies of what a superior, because they, that was a world of honor and shame. So you give honor to the person who's up the ladder from you, or you're going to be shamed. And Jesus is turning that all upside down. It's not just a great teacher either who's doing for his students what would bring shame. That would be one thing. This is the one who is sovereign Lord over all of creation who spoke, who is the word through which things came into being, who took on the role of a slave. John wants us to see this so that we know the character of who the God that we worship is. Jesus says it over and over in in this gospel. You want to know who the Father is? You want to know who God is? You want to know the one who we worship as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Look at me. I'm the one. I will show you what he's like. I'll show you his character. And what do I do? I get down on my hands and knees, and I am serving you. And I'm going to tell you to do it for each other. That's the God, my friends, that we gather together to follow and to worship. It ain't Zeus with his shirt off and like all the muscles, you know, and the huge beard. And he's like got the lightning bolt. That's not the God that we worship. We worship the God who put the towel around him and got on his hands and knees and washed the animal excrement off of the feet of his followers. That's the God that we worship. And John tells us that Jesus didn't do this in the beginning of the meal. He did it right in the middle of the meal, which was, uh, that was not the time you're supposed to do. This was supposed to be something that happened when you welcome your guest into your home. That's like first thing. It's like, oh, please take your shoes off. You know, let me, let me wash your feet. Well, John says he does this during the supper intentionally. One of the gifts that Jesus gives us is that he washes those who come to him in faith clean. There it is. Continues to amaze me. Didn't do this on purpose. That we have these baptisms today. But what a better example of coming to Jesus in faith, even the faith of a child and being washed clean. John gives us this physical description of Jesus taking his robe off. He puts the towel around him. He serves, and then he re-robes. He puts it back on, which is really like a theological picture of Jesus' life. It's a metaphor for his life, right? He takes off divinity, his divine prerogatives. He descends down to the place of a servant. Paul talks about this in the Philippians Christ hymn, taking the form of a slave. And he washes us clean through the work of the cross. So that, that movement down we call incarnation. The service, the work that he does, we call atonement. And then he re-robes himself in the resurrection. And he ascends, the ascension. Where he sits at the right hand of the Father. Where he's in, That means he's in control. And he's guiding all things to their final telos. Their true end. 
In fact, the words used here for taking off and putting on that John tells us where he takes his robe off and he puts him back on. These are the same words that Jesus used when he was talking about himself as the good shepherd in John chapter 10. He says, the fathers love me because I take off my life. I lay my life down and I put it back on again. I pick it back up again. There's the same words being used. And of course, we love Peter because, I don't know, I see myself in Peter. He's always getting it wrong. But he's really bold about it. He's like, I'm going to make a mistake, but I'm going to do it at 100 miles an hour. And so Peter misunderstands what's going on. And he makes this big deal about Jesus washing their feet. Peter says, don't wash my feet, Lord. Jesus says, I have to. You don't understand now, but you will in a bit, which is his version of you'll get it when you're older. And I don't blame Peter, right? It's, come on, it's hard to let other people serve you. It's hard to ask for help, right? It's hard. And now imagine you're in Peter's shoes, and it's Jesus who's trying to serve you. Jesus said, if I can't wash your feet, you can't have fellowship with me. Translation is, if I can't forgive your sins, You can't have my presence. And I think in all of the Gospels, there is no stronger defense for God's grace over a moral religion of worthiness. It is not about how worthy you are. Jesus' salvation, his gift, his healing is a free, undeserved, you can't do nothing about it, gift. You don't earn the cleansing. It's given. And there is no such thing as being too unworthy to receive Jesus' free grace. I can't tell you how many times people come to me and they say, but you don't know what I've done. Or you don't know what goes on up here. You don't know what's in here. I'm like, you know what? It's probably exactly what I've done. And it's probably what goes on up in my head. And it's probably what goes on in here too. We're all unworthy. There, there's nobody, nobody who's worthy. That's the point. We are all sinners. We stand in need of God's grace. And all Jesus wants for us is to let us, or let him love us. That's what he wants. Let me love you. Let me love you. And so Peter, again, hundred miles an hour. All right, then wash me from head to toe. Let's get the hot tub going. Jesus said, you've already been cleansed. You've already been washed all over. And you are all a completely clean people, which is something we need to remind ourselves over and over and over again. And that's why I made the point with the kids up here. You are a clean people. You have been washed. You have been made clean by Jesus. Hold on to that. That's what Luther, Martin Luther, when he would struggle, because he did. And this is one of the great theological minds of the Reformation. When he would struggle with his own sinfulness, with the evil that lives within him, you know what he would say over and over again? I have been baptized. I, and I I imagine him going, I have been baptized. I have been baptized. I have been washed clean. I have been made clean. And then uh, 
Jesus manages expectations about his group of followers. He lets them know that there's somebody in his group who's actually going to betray him, right? That's that part like, you've been made clean, but except for one. And I don't get how the disciples don't really understand what's going on here. They just seem kind of clueless sometimes, right? They don't get that it's Judas, even though he says, I'm going to dip the bread in and I'm going to give it to the person. And then he does it and he says, go do it. And they're like, who is it, Jesus? You know? Makes me feel better. Um, but, but he's telling them, like, there is this strange paradox about being part of the church, about being part of his family of faith, that within us, we are holy and we are sinful all at the same time, right? There is good and there is grace and there is love and there is mercy and there's brokenness. And it all exists together. That's the parable of the wheat and the weeds, Right? The Lord is present in the life of the church, and so is Hasatan. That's the, the Hebrew word that we translate as Satan, the accuser. It's here both. And I think that's his call to realism, because if we understand Jesus on this point, that guess what? They both exist in me, and they both exist within us. Well, we won't be shaken by brokenness that exists even here. One of the things we're going to welcome new members into the church on uh, a couple weeks, two weeks. One of the things that I'm going to say to them, and I'll just give you a forewarning, is that this is a group of people who are going to disappoint you. And they're probably going to hurt you. But we're going to give you the chance to exercise forgiveness and grace. Because we're not perfect we still have the same problems because it still lives in our hearts. And so Peter asks John, who's closer to Jesus, hey, who is it? Who's the one? Right? Again, Peter, gotta love him. And so he does that. I'm going to dip my piece of bread and they don't get it. But this, by the way, this is the moment that, you know that famous uh, Last Supper painting by Leonardo da Vinci? That's the moment that he's trying to capture is when they realize that somebody is going to be betraying him. So when you, next time you see that, just kind of have that in your mind, that, that surprise. They're all like looking at each other. And depending on which gospel you read, uh, Matthew and Mark, they, there's like, is it me, Lord? And Luke and John, they go, is it you? <laughs> and so this becomes like the unlord's supper. Jesus gives the bread, think about that. He gives the bread to Judas, who takes it and eats it. And John says that's when Hasatan, the accuser, enters him, which is the opposite of the Lord's Supper when he gives his disciples the bread. He says, take and eat, and he dwells with us. And that, I think this is the warning for all of us here is that Judas is a much more disturbing figure than Pilate or the high priest Caiaphas. Judas should be way more concerning to us because he was an insider. And he went from light to the darkness. and reminds us that we too, if we're not careful, can stumble into the darkness as well. Now, um, interestingly, you know, Jesus is constantly casting demons out of people. Right? He's constantly exercising evil out of the world. Well, in John's gospel, he never, he never casts a demon out of anybody. 
In chapter 12, what uh, we heard Pastor Bob talk about last week, he promised to exercise the devil. He, uh, Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world, I, the Satan, will be driven out. And this one great cosmic exorcism in John's gospel, the kicking out of the ruler of this world doesn't happen until the very end, until that final telos. It is finished. It happens from the cross. Because Jesus knew what Yogi Berra was going to say, that it ain't over until the fat lady sings. That's the great exorcism in John's gospel. The kicking out of the ruler of this world. And there's something really interesting here. Jesus seems to be the Lord over the powers of evil too. Okay, right. So here's what I mean. Jesus is talking to Judas and he's saying, you know, he gives him the bread and he's saying, hey, do it quickly. And that's exactly what Judas does. He gets up. It's like he almost runs out of the room. Even in his act of betrayal, Judas does what Jesus tells him to do. Isn't that interesting? Even in his betrayal. Even though the will of Ha-Satan is done that evening, the larger will of the Father is accomplished. And he uses the means of evil, the cross, to do it. And so even evil unwittingly submits to Jesus' lordship. Which makes me think that ultimately, God's love will win. That's how it ends. And speaking of love, Jesus follows this interaction with Peter and then with Judas by closing the loop on that foot washing that he did a little earlier. And he says, you've seen what I have done for you. And notice he does not say, you should love me as I've loved you. No, probably because that would be too easy. He says, you should love one another. Go and love one another. Which is really just a reiteration of that golden rule. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Because some of you may have noticed, loving real people is pretty dang hard. I can love hypothetical people really well. Real people with real personalities and real things that drive me nuts is hard. I've learned, I have learned that. Um, if those of you who have, who have journeyed on this yourselves or are further on that journey than I am, my children are teaching me that. There are some times when uh, I deeply love my children and I just want them to go to bed because I'm done with them for the day. Because loving real people are hard. But that's what God calls us to do. And that's why God calls us into community. Communion. Into fellowship. It's easy to be a follower of Jesus on a desert island when you're by yourself. It's a whole lot harder when you have to love each other. And so we were always meant to be a community of people. You don't have to like each other, but we have to love each other. And the classic definition of love from Thomas Aquinas is to will the good of the other as the other. 
And that's why I make sure that this pitcher and this bowl are here all year round. They don't just show up on Holy Week. Because this, I want you to, whenever you see this, there you go. I want you to remember, Jesus calls us to will the good of the other. And to serve. And that this is a command. It ain't optional. This is our call. And guess what? The world will know who we are by this here. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you on this day for your word to us, for your actions, that you have loved us with this deep and lasting and servant love, that you have shown us, you've given us this thing that we can do. And you've given us a way to love one another. Lord, we ask that you bless us as we seek to be your people who are known throughout our community, throughout our workplace, throughout the state, throughout the world, as people who love. People who learned how to will the good of the other. Father, make us those people on this day. Help us to take one more step towards being a loving community, the beloved community. Lord, thank you that you have washed us clean, that you have grafted us into your family, and you've given us this high calling to emulate you as the servant God, and we are your followers serving each other and serving this world. As you have been broken and poured out for the world, may we be broken and poured out. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Well, my friends, thanks for joining us for this week's worship and our message. Uh, As you can tell, we we were running a little behind schedule. We had a whole bunch of stuff that was happening this weekend. We had two baptisms. We had some really cool updates on things that are happening in the life of the church over the last year or two. Um, we had a great children's message and some, uh, an anthem. It was just a lot of stuff that was kind of all happening at the same time. So that's why we kind of sped through the, the message this week. But uh, if you're ever in town on Sunday morning, we'd love to have you join us. And if you'd like to watch the whole service from uh, the comfort of your home in front of your computer or your phone or your, another device, you can go to YouTube and search our church, First Presbyterian Church Ogden. And you can always check us out on our website, And that's the best way to support our ministry and what we do here is go to www.fpcogden.org and you can give through that way. Well, blessings to you and we'll see you here next week.